You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, so to start at the beginning on this. All right, so back in 2013, um, our oldest child passed away, Cameron, and went to be with the Lord. And so in the year after that... um, in that, in that year, I just started thinking about heaven all the time because, you know, our oldest child lived there. And it's kind of in the same way that if you had a child, like my mom, for example. Uh, my mom had no interest in Wake Forest ever, but then I went to college there. And so her child is there. So my mom then is a big Wake Forest fan. You know, she checks the website. She knows the news about what's going on at Wake Forest before I do because I don't check the website as a student. She's watching the basketball games, watching the football games. She has the Wake Forest sticker on her car, got the sweatshirt. She is, you know, Wake Forest is now a new part of her consciousness because her precious, wonderful, handsome baby <laughs> has gone to... I was talking about myself. Um, has gone to school there, right? So she has this heightened awareness of Wake Forest. Well, the same thing would be true um, relative to heaven, having a child live there who's being parented in person by the Lord God. And so, um, and so I felt a little bit weird because I was thinking about heaven all the time and it was factoring into my everyday life um, in uh, factoring into my everyday life in a way that was that was abnormal for me. You know, I would forget to pay a bill, and I'd be like, nah, fifteen dollars, not going to matter in heaven, not a big deal. You know, um, just all kinds of little things like that. Uh, or you know, I'd be teaching, and it would be like a really a text where there was something controversial, and there'd be that temptation to just kind of, you know, let's take a left turn and let's get around that, and like, oh well, I'm actually I'm going to go before the Lord, and my whole life is an offering to the Lord, and like. This sermon, this lesson will will be a part of my offering to the Lord, and so you don't you, you better not back down. And so, so a much greater sense of heaven consciousness, and then also too, like um, you know, you kind of see a tough season ahead, and it's like I can be here that long, you know. And that's true. It's true. I mean, Paul refers to uh, this life as short and momentary in Second Corinthians chapter five or chapter four. Um, you know the, the trials and the tribulations of this life relative to the eternal pleasure of heaven, and so, so anyhow, so I felt a little bit weird in this, and uh, I started reading just in my own devotional life Paul's letters, and I, I was reading them in a new way because I started to notice that Paul references heaven all the time; it is just organically integrated into all of his letters. He is thinking about heaven all the time, and there are reasons for that. And we're going to get into more of the reasons for that. Grab yourself a sheet over there on the left. Thank you so much. There are reasons for that uh, that we're going to get into next week uh, when we talk about present heaven. Belinda Carlisle, heaven is a place on earth. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, and so I kind of say that I found a friend in Paul. I found a friend in Paul. And so I was, I was started then, in that year I read all of Paul's letters with a highlighter and every reference to heaven I would highlight. Alright, so then I was, uh, I was, you know, in the never-ending seminary program. It was longer than my undergraduate degree. And, um, and so I did two independent studies on Paul's theology of heaven and what you call Pauline eschatological spirituality, which means how is it that 
the theology of heaven impacts the everyday life of a Christian. Uh, in doing that, I also read throughout um, literature, throughout church history, of how you see heavenly mindedness and heaven consciousness as a part of the patristics or the Puritan writings of the Reformation or Catholic mysticism or um, American slave spirituals. And so, um, so all that to say that I, I, you know, I did that over the span of about five years. And so, um, and so now I am working on a book about Paul, you know, Paul's theology of heaven and how it impacts the everyday life. And I'm teaching on it all this summer. So I'm going to be all up in some heaven this summer. So if you would pray for me that I can wake up earlier than normal, because I am not an early riser, to buy some time for hev- uh, to write and work on this book, that would be appreciated. But, um, but anyhow, so that's, that's the story of what we're talking about. And so I want to start off this gradient of talking about heaven, Heavenly mindedness and heaven consciousness. So heaven is which we're going to focus on the first two weeks. Heaven is just the details about heaven, the facts about heaven, um, and uh, and we'll break that down into present heaven, future heaven, and present heaven. Uh, future heaven is what we're focusing on today, and that's what you think about with heaven, like what's going to happen when I die in Christ. Uh, present heaven, though, is massively impactful on why it is that Paul is so obsessed with heaven. And so that, we're going to talk about that next week. Next is heavenly mindedness. Heavenly mindedness. And so heavenly mindedness um, is a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice, whereby you deliberately think about heaven. You deliberately think with an eternal mindset. And so Paul in, in uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, If you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So Paul here is calling for this, and, and so this is when he says, seek the things that are above and set your minds. These are present active imperatives, which in Greek means that it's not like something you do one time. It's a continuous practice. It's habitual. And so when he says, set your mind on things above and seek things that are above, he is saying, let that be a habitual part of your spiritual rhythm, that you are constantly thinking about things above, that you have a heavenly mindedness. And then you see in Philippians 3, 12 through 15, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He's talking about uh, glorification, heaven, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, speaking of heaven, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he is living his life with a heavenly trajectory. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Think this way. Think with an eternal mindset. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So this is heavenly mindedness. Um, this is a, you know, a practice whereby we think, about, we think about our lives with an eternal mindset. Um, we let that be the backdrop of our consciousness. And so then finally, heaven consciousness, now this is a term that I've kind of coined, and that is, and this will hopefully be the title of the book, um, but you, you writers don't really have control over that. Google and the publisher have control over that. But heaven consciousness is a... Um, a spiritual state of mind whereby heaven comprises an organic and pervasive present in a person's normal perspective on life. All right, so basically, uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's not like you're, you're deliberately thinking about eternity, but eternity is so much a part of your mindset 
that it just kind of factors into your decisions, the way you respond to suffering, um, your, uh, your, your prayer life, your perspective towards missions, your perspective towards generosity and giving. You, are, you just organically have a heaven consciousness. It's just, it's, it, heaven is always in the, in, the, in the backdrop of your mind. And so what you'll see here with Paul, uh, just some examples here of heaven consciousness. And this is really what the whole series is, is going towards, towards giving us a greater sense, a greater uh, heavenly mindedness in our life and towards helping us have an increased heaven consciousness. And I'll tell you, when you kind of are living with an eternal perspective life, you are able to handle things so much more chill, so with so much more perspective. You are so much more courageous. Um, you are um, so much more just kind of able to roll um, because you realize that your life on this earth, the struggles and the difficulties of this life are this. They're, in fact, Ecclesiastes calls it a vapor. Fleeting, so quick, relative to, count them, trillions, literally trillions of years in heaven with the Lord. This is, I mean, I, I say like we're riding a Greyhound bus to the perfect all-inclusive resort in the sky. <laughs> and it's not a long, you're going to be in the, you're going to be at the all-inclusive resort forever with Jesus face to face. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just like a 10 mile bus ride in the, in the big picture of things. Um, and so, uh, and so that's kind of what we're getting for. But you can see here in first, in first Thessalonians, one nine through ten, Paul says, "For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come." So he's talking about you know the, what's going on in the church of Thessalonica, and he basically talks about their salvation. You know, he says that you've turned from false gods to worship the true and living God. And then what is, you know, what is the, the grid of your life? What is the projection of your life? It is to wait for his son from heaven, basically waiting for the second coming of Christ. So he, this is how he, this is kind of an encapsulation of the Christian life um, with, with, you know, a central part of it being waiting for the return of Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 13, a similar kind of thing he says here, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So he's talking about Christ's coming training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, present age being life on this earth. So he's, you know, calling for a life of repentance and godliness. And he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So basically the posture of the Christian life is as we're living in, in this world and repenting from sin, uh, serving the Lord, we are waiting. The posture of our heart is we are waiting for the return of the Lord. Philippians 4.13. Yeah, let's say this is interesting here. He's just, he's basically at the end of the book, uh, the letter to Philippi. He is, he is um, you know, basically the, he'll do these salutations at the end where he's saying, hey, say, say hey to this person, say hey to that person, let this person know we're praying for him, you know, just kind of giving shout outs. And so here in this shout out toward the end of Philippians 4, he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So it's interesting, you know, he's, he's basically saying, hey, like there's some people who have really been, been really faithful partners in ministry with me, and I want you to help them out. 
And how, how is what is the you know what is the clause here by which he describes them? He identifies them as people whose names are written in the book of life, like who are sealed for eternity. That you can just see, just that that's not you know if I'm like hey. I've got I've got my friend Davis Lacey up in L.J., Georgia, and he's been a really faithful partner in ministry for me uh, with Rooted and other things. And if you could just support him and pray for him and encourage him, I would appreciate that. And his name is written in the Book of Life. That's not something I would naturally say, right? That sounds a little bit weird, you know? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like pr- pray for my friend David. You know, he's a good guy. He encourages me, and and his name is written in the Book of Life. You know, that that that'd be a little weird, but it's true, David. It's true. All that's true. Alright, so then um, you can see you can see how it's pervading his life. Last, 1 uh, 1 Corinthians 11.26 For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he's talking about communion here. Talking about the Eucharist. And he's saying, you know, he's saying you're taking the sacrament until he comes. Like, this is a provision until Christ returns, until we're in glory. So anyhow, so that, those are examples there of, of heaven consciousness. So today what we're going to talk about is future heaven. Um, and so uh, future heaven is kind of what we more tend to think about when we think about heaven, thinking about what happens when we die. Um, and, and so one thing I want to, one caveat I want to give, and by the way, this is all on your sheet. One caveat I want to give is that I'm, I'm in this, I'm going to talk about different aspects in the sequence of heaven. Different things that are directly related to the end or that occur at the second coming of Christ um, that, um, yeah, that, are, that are just moments along the way. Now, there is some ambiguity and, and, and lack of certainty on the sequence in some of these things. We just don't quite know. Uh, and I'll get into that in a bit. And so I want to say that with some of this stuff, we kind of have to hold it loosely. There are certain things, you know, when you're talking about you know, biblical truth that we have high certainty on. Like we have high certainty that Jesus was God. <laughs> we have high certainty that Jesus died for sins on the cross, right? Those are crystal clear in Scripture. But some of these things that are related to heaven are a little more ambiguous, not, not the realities that will be there, not the realities that will be with Christ and will be fully healed and that kind of stuff, but some of the sequencing and details, it's good biblical Christians who believe in the Word of God can disagree. And so, um, and so with that said, I want to hold this pretty loosely and, and speak with hermeneutical humility. And so first thing we want to ask is what makes heaven heaven? What makes heaven heaven? Like, what is the difference between our life here and our life uh, when we die and go to be with the Lord? And um, and so, the first thing, just getting down to the fundamental fundamentals, is we'll look at this in terms of the things you're delivered from in the earthly life versus the things that you gain when you're in heaven. Okay, and so I'm in this chart on your on screen here. I'm talking about the ultimate end of heaven, which is the new heavens and the new earth. We'll get into this in a second, but like, if you were to die in Christ tonight, you would go to heaven, but you would be in what we call the intermediate state. Uh, and that is where all the saints are with Jesus. It's great. Don't be worried. But it's only going to get even better. Because uh, when Jesus comes back, all the saints in heaven who are presently in the intermediate state will be with Christ and will receive a new body. Receive a new body, and then we will live on this earth, but this earth will be, uh, will be perfect. It will be absolutely perfect. It will be a physical existence with the merger of heaven and earth. And so, um, and so, 
so with that being said, this chart is speaking towards our more permanent existence of the new heaven on earth. Right? Belinda Carlisle. I mean, the girl is the prophet of the series. Anyhow, okay, so, so first, the things that you're delivered from. So first, uh, looking at this, in terms of, and this earth now, like we, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul calls uh, the Holy Spirit a down payment for heaven. He says that in two different places. Uh, and so we have the presence of God now, but not in the same way in heaven. Like it, because because we're not fully in His presence, we don't have it to a perfect extent. But we've got it pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. Second, in terms of seeing Christ, right now we can see Christ in His Word. Um, we can see Christ in the way that He works. But in terms of seeing Him face to face, like we'll see Him in heaven, we don't have that yet. We'll be delivered from that. Pain and suffering. We have pain and suffering in this life. When you die and go to heaven, you will never, ever, ever suffer again. No more suffering. No more pain. Uh, no more emotional pain. No more fear. No more anxiety. No more despair. It, it, all of the emotional suffering of this life will be over when you enter into heaven. The body will be delivered from mortal, perishing bodies. Arthritis, athlete's foot, cancer, um, any of the any physical ailments that you experience, they are over. You are delivered from that permanently. And then sin, when you go to heaven, your will is perfected. And you will not be able to sin ever again. And so the, you know, the pain that you experience from your own sin, the, the pain that others experience from our sin, that is over. You're delivered from that. And so what you gain in heaven is you gain being in the full presence of God forever. Full presence of God. And so if you think about the closest you have ever felt to the Lord, maybe you went to summer camp, maybe you went to a retreat, maybe you just had an epiphany kind of moment where you felt so close to Jesus, like it will be that magnified permanently forever. So you will have the full presence of God. You will see Jesus face to face. Uh, there will be no more, no more partial, no more walking by faith. You won't have to walk by faith because you will actually see Jesus. And so, when, listen, when you, if you have these questions about, like, what if my dog's not there? Or what if my uncle is not there? Or whatever. I want to tell you that the questions that you have, when you see Jesus, they will all, they'll all be answered. The question may not be specifically answered, but when you see Jesus, you will be okay with any question that you have because you will see His perfect beauty and goodness and holiness and everything will be settled uh, because you will be able to witness permanently the goodness of Christ. Pain and suffering, you will live in perpetual joy and happiness forever. Um, You will gain a new glorified body at the resurrection of the dead. So I'd imagine, you know, that I'll, uh, you know, look like one of those one of those football players. I, I don't know. No, just kidding. Um, with their abs and all that. No, I don't know. I don't really know. We don't know the specifics, but we know that it will be a glorified body that will not suffer, um, that will not that will not ail, that will not get sick, that will not be injured. And then finally, you will have a perfected will. Uh, you will no longer those those sins, those bad habits, those things that you just that drive you crazy. Uh, especially think about if you're an addict, uh, you know, just that like craving to act out or whatever it is, it will be gone. 
won't be there. If you're a person like me who has a terrible temper, especially driving and watching football, you're not gonna, I'm not going to have temper tantrums again. Praise the Lord Jesus. Everyone in the car and on Highway 280 is thankful for that. So anyhow, so this is what makes heaven heaven. And so one of the things is, is there is overlap. Like we have partial, certain things that where we have partial enjoyment of now. Like the presence of Jesus. We have the presence of God in our lives now. We can see Christ in his word and in his work. And so we want to lean into those realities as much as possible because we want to enjoy as much of a heavenly existence in this life as possible. That is God's intention in giving us some of these heavenly gifts here and now. All right, so now we're going to look at... Nope, not going to look at that anymore. We're going to look at our sheets. Pull out your worksheets, boys and girls. Um, So now we're going to go through the elements of future heaven. Um, And so so I'm going to try to do this as chronologically as possible um, and accurately as possible, but we're just going to walk through this. Um, I am going to stick to just Paul's letters in terms of this stuff, but quite honestly, other than Revelation, we get probably the most detail on a lot of these things from Paul's letters. So first, the first stop along the way is the intermediate state. By the way, if you need a worksheet, they're over there. Um, But the first stop along the way is the intermediate state. Um, How many people here, when you heard me say that, that like when you die and go to heaven that the intermediate state is temporary. For how many of you were you like, huh? That's the first time I've heard that before. Yeah, I know. A lot of, it's true. I, I, so Nancy Guthrie, who um, is an author, she's written like over 30 books, and um, she's a friend of Lauren's and mine. She uh, basically, it wasn't until not too long ago that she, that she was taught that. Um, because, yeah. But anyhow, but here's the reality. For those who have died in Christ and are in heaven right now, um, it is a great gig. It, it is the greatest show on earth. Uh, but their state right now is temporary. Um, they are, uh, as Paul, let's look here and see what Paul has to say. He says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body. We'd rather be away from this present age where we are right now, from this, you know, the, the, our, our, um, our mortal bodies, and at home with the Lord. We'd rather be at home with the Lord. It's better to be with the Lord from, a, from our, from our you know, experiential st- standpoint. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. So when he's talking about home, he's talking about being in heaven. He's saying where we are right now is away from our true home, our citizenship in heaven. Uh, and so then he says, I am hard-pressed between the two. This is in Philippians uh, 1. And he's like, he, he's not sure if he's going to die. And he's basically like, I'll be honest with you, it would be my preference to die because my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. Um, for that is far better. So, basically, um, as your chart, your intermediate state chart says here, In the intermediate state, we are in heaven. We know that we are away from the difficulties of this life. We know that we see Christ face to face. We know that we're in the full presence of God. We know that our will is perfected. We know that we enjoy all the blessings of heaven. The only thing we don't enjoy yet, and we just don't know what the physical state is in heaven, is we don't have our resurrected bodies yet. We have our resurrected bodies at the resurrection of dead, the resurrection of the dead at the second coming of Christ. And so in terms of 
Are we in a disembodied state? Do we have some kind of physical existence? That's something that's debated. Randy Alcorn, who um, wrote a definitive book on heaven, he thinks that there is some physical reality to the intermediate state. Um, Some people don't think so. Um, Regardless, doesn't really matter. Because we're going to be perfectly happy there. We're going to, we know we're going to get a resurrected body. Um, we know we're delivered from all the pains of this life. And we know we see Jesus face to face. Yes? But we can assume that Jesus is in his resurrected body. Jesus is in his resurrected okay. body. And that's one, that's one of the bases for the argument. Okay. But, oh, oh, no, no. Actually, that's not a basis for the argument. Because, okay. Jesus, but as Paul says, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead that will happen at the second coming of Christ. And so, um, does that make sense? Yeah, so basically, that, that's the terminology. Sorry if this is getting a little academic, but basically, um, this will make a little more sense as we talk about the resurrection of the dead in a second. But basically, the Jews expected that there would be a resurrection of the body at the coming of the Messiah, at the, at the, at the arrival of the age to come, which was basically... The heaven on earth, the new heavens, the new earth. The new heavens, the new earth. That's that's talked about in the Old Testament, honestly, just as much, if not more, as it is in the New Testament, particularly the Book of Isaiah. So, with that being said, and this is what next week's class is going to be about. There was this heavenly expectation that Jews had, and so when Paul sees Jesus resur- in his resurrected body, the dominoes start to fall for Paul because he's like, there has been a resurrection of the dead. And so, so with that being said, Jesus is in a resurrected body, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we will be because our resurrected body occurs at the second coming of Christ at the resurrection of the dead. Sorry if that was confusing. It might get a little more clear as we go forward. Um, okay, so next, the man of lawlessness. Uh, anybody ever heard this one before? That's what 2 Thessalonians is primarily about. Um, it's about the second coming of Christ, but it particularly focuses on the man of lawless, lawlessness, who some people refer to as the, the Antichrist. Not to be confused with Antichrist as that term is used in 1 John, 2 John, I think, maybe 3 John. Um, yeah, and that term is used in John more as people who are false teachers, people who deny uh, that Jesus Christ was God um, and, uh, and deny salvation in Christ. This is like a, a definitive antichrist at the end that Paul refers to as the man of lawlessness. Now, I never paid much attention to this. Uh, I'd been like, uh, you know, well, you know, that's, that's for some old book series or whatever. Mm-hmm. Someone can read between the lines. People who grew up in evangelical subculture can read between the lines on that. Um, but uh, but uh, when I was reading, like, some of these huge Pauline uh, theology books and like this 500-page book on Paul's theology of heaven, there was a whole chapter dedicated to the man of lawlessness in both of those books. So I started to pay a little more attention. <laughs> and so basically it is a, um, it is a person who uh, God is restraining you know the presence of a person like this until the very end, but at the very end there will be a person who um, who is who does um, wonderful acts, who um, persecutes and kills Christians, and who is extraordinarily deceitful. 
And, uh, and so it, will, it seems like it will be a unique and particularly visible form of evil to a believer. And so that is an aspect we see in, in 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 10. It says, Let no one be deceived you in any way, for the day will not come, this is he's talking about the second coming of Christ, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know, um, and you know, sorry, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may he may be revealed at his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's true. I mean, the devil is is very much at work now. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the law, then the lawless. One will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. All right, so basically, there is a central Antichrist figure who will rise at the second coming of Christ. I would recommend that you not try to interpret every president of the United States as the Antichrist because during my lifetime, and you know, I'm 41, I have pretty much heard, I pretty much heard, you know, when there's a Republican president, it's like progressive Christians are like, the Antichrist. And when it's a Democratic president, conservative Christians are like, clearly Bill Clinton, or clearly Obama, or clearly Joe Biden, or clearly Jimmy Carter, who's like probably the most faithful Christian president there's ever been, is the Antichrist. You know, so just uh, let's not get into the business of, of that. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I, yeah, I would say like total and complete rebellion against God. Yeah, I think that's that's what the, that term would mean. All right, so we got the the man of lawlessness, and now we have the rapture, and um, and so this is hotly debated, highly controversial, and I want to tell you if you are a person to whom this is very very important to your theology and your Christian faith, then that is that is fine for you, and God bless you. But please don't send me an email. Uh, please don't send me an email because every time I teach on this, I get a long email, and I'm just I'm I'm gonna say in your in response to your email, God bless you, I'm happy for you, go Jesus. You know that's that's gonna be the response. So don't waste your time. <laughs> oh man, I'm probably gonna get an email just for being so obnoxious in the way I said that. Please edit this, Will Sledge. No. Anyhow, so basically I'll say this. Um, you have I'm just I'm gonna read first uh, Thessalonians four, sixteen through seventeen. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry uh, with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God so it's talking about the second coming of Christ and the dead in Christ will rise first talking about the resurrection of the dead then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord now look this is super hard and confusing right it's very difficult to get the time orchestrated. And so here's what I want to say is it really does God's desire 
is that all the saints, all believers in Christ, will be with Him when He returns. Because one of the blessings of, um, that is conferred to us through Christ is that when Christ comes for the final judgment, like we will be with Him in that. When Christ comes to banish the world of evil, like we will kind of like be in His army. We will be on His team. And so, so it does seem that at the end, that all believers will, will go up into the air with Christ and then return with Him. Now, some people think that... People that there will be a rapture that occurs, and that believers will be in heaven for like a seven-year period, something like that. They call this uh, pre-tribunal dispensational premillennialism. If you were curious, um, but basically, that 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 the believers will be uh, kind of relieved from or protected from, taken away from all the bad stuff that's happening at the end, um, and then at the second coming they will come back. Others think that this rapture is just like an instantaneous kind of thing. Like, when Jesus comes back, everyone, every believer who's on earth will rise up into the sky, and they'll come right back down with Jesus. It'll, it'll be like jumping up into the air, but you'll go a lot higher. Um, and so, so, regardless, it's my opinion that there is a rapture of some sort. Um, I tend to think it's more of the instantaneous variety, but I could be totally wrong. There are really there are lots and lots of good biblical Christians who believe, and and you know that it'd be a more extended period. And God, God bless you, those Christians. Don't send me an email, please. Yes. Oh, is that First Thessalonians passage? What's the difference between the dead and Christ rising first? And in that same passage, it talks about those who've fallen asleep in Christ will rise. Uh, yeah, it's I don't think I don't think there's a difference. I think that there is one universal resurrection of the body, um, and uh, I don't know for those who are who are well. Actually, that's uh, oh no, we got the second coming of Christ. Um, uh, for believers who are on earth and who are like raptured, you know, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily know. Um, I'm, not, I'm just not really sure. But I do know that there's a resurrection of the body. I'm not, I'm not, not worried where I am in line. I just was curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. He's going to email you about that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so the next, the second coming of Christ. And by the way, a lot of these events, it's like, it's really hard to space them out and sequence them. We, can, we just know that all these things are going to be a part of the big show. We'll just say that. Um, but the second coming of Christ is this is the end of history, and so something we'll get into a little bit next week. Am I, am I doing too many details here? Okay, all right, okay. Um, something we'll get into next week is like right now there is an overlap between the age to come and the present evil age, right? Uh, since Christ came, the new heavenly age, the age to come, has been initiated, but obviously we still live in the fallen world. That's very clear. Well, the fallen world, which we call the present evil age, that will end at the second coming of Christ. Because Christ will completely restore the world. Christ will banish all evil from the world uh, and ban it to hell forever. And Christ will, and Christ and God and His full glory will come to the earth. And so, with that being said, the second coming of Christ is the end of the present evil age and it is the beginning of heaven having a full physical existence. 
Um, you know, often you hear this this term, the trumpet blow. That's a, that's an image of the announcement of the presence of God. And so, in, when we're talking about the second coming of Christ, you see this image of a trumpet over and over and over again because it is announcing the full presence of God coming to earth. Um, and by the way, like the part of the value of this in terms of heavenly mindedness is these are great things to think about. You know, your your eternal heavenly life will be a physical life. Um, like you, it, it seems biblical that you will eat food in the in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, that you know you'll be able to like hug people and and touch and things like that. Like it. Um, it will, yeah. So to think about, you'll be able to explore all of God's perfected creation. So, you know, the desire, the desire. This is this is a, something Randy Alcorn says. The desire for world travel, to go see beautiful places like that, that reflects our expectation and impulse that in the new heavens and the new earth we will be able to do that because we inherit the earth with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ and that is all ours shared together. So think about that like if you have like a family lake house or something of that nature where it's like you know you and your brother and your sister and your mom your dad all share it. You know it's like you all get to kind of use it. Well that that is how the new heavens and new earth will be for us. Um, is that we will all share it, it will all the creation will all be ours that we've inherited that through Christ as co-heirs with Christ. So these are good things to think about. It's good to think about what will it be like when Jesus comes back? Like what will it be like for, for, it all, for all, the, all the difficulties of this life to be over? These are good things to meditate on. Okay, so next, the resurrection of the body, aka the resurrection of the dead. So at the second coming of Christ, we don't know it's like I said, is this after? Is it at? It's, it's all in there together. Um, but there will be a resurrection of the body. Now here's something that is kind of interesting. It's also, a part of this is a little depressing. Is that the resurrection of the body will be for believers and for non-believers, both. Every person will be resurrected in the body. Um, let's, let's look at what Paul says here in Acts 24.15. He says, Having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Um, yeah, so it'll be for both. Uh, we see here, um, let's, let's get a better one than that. Let's go, let's do 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, this is the last quote on the page. It says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. So our current body is a perishable body. Lord, we know that's true. Um, but our new body will not be perishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. That's not to say that our bodies are bad. Our bodies are good. They're a gift from the Lord. Um, it is sown in weakness. We know that's true. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So we, we shall be raised from the dead in a bodily form in the way that Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, and so, um, so that is when we get our new body. All right, uh, sorry, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to kind of rifle through these a little bit more. Um, so then, then, at the second coming of Christ, there is the final judgment. Um, 
And so God will eternally judge those who have rejected Christ and failed to receive the gospel. They will experience complete and permanent disconnection from God. So that is a, that's, a, that's a sad thing, and that's a reality that should lead us to pray and to share the gospel. Um, let's see here. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5-10, through what it says about that. It says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. That is a no punches pulled text and that's a reality. Uh, And so that is a part that occurs at the second coming of Christ. Okay, two more things before we land the plane. Um, Is the judgment seat of Christ, sometimes called the Bema seat, for believers? Okay, now this uh, is... Not something that is worthy of five minutes. Um, this is one of the more difficult things, uh, but I'm going to try to say this succinctly, completely, and accurately. I did a, I did a paper on this one too. Um, so basically, uh, when we, at the second coming of Christ, there is a believers go before Christ uh, to give an account for their life. Now, here's the thing. This this seems very contradictory to the gospel, right? Because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened to all that stuff about Jesus dying for my sins, right? And so um, what, let's, let's read here what Paul says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now the word for evil there, I think is better translated worthless. Um, Worthless rather than evil. Because our sins, the punishment for our sins, Jesus has already paid for on the cross. Like, our, our final judgment occurred on the cross. So, and Jesus received that for us. So we are divorced from our sins. And um, there is reward for things we do uh, in this life for the sake of God and his kingdom. And so it's seen, you see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, For one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be, re- be revealed by fire, by the, by the presence of God. Uh, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved as only through fire. So basically, basically the you know, basically it's like uh, there's an if a person is saved and they don't really invest their life for the sake of the kingdom, there just won't be much reward when a believer goes before the judgment seat. I don't think anybody's going to be like bombed out in heaven. Um, because you're going to be in the full presence of Jesus. You're going to be, uh, you're going to see him face to face. You're not going to sin. You're going to be perfectly happy. I think that this is more a word for us just to motivate us to lay down our lives for Christ. Um, knowing that there is reward for things that we do for Christ. Now, keep in mind, another thing that's confusing about this too is anything good that we do is by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
So it's all kind of confusing. No one needs to be worried. Your sins are forgiven. Uh, Christ has paid the punishment. Uh, and this is good, you know. But here's the thing, too. It's not like we do this out of fear, or out of self-interest. Like, we do. Th- we would. We would. We would. Um, we would pursue doing things for the Lord for because of love for Him. You know, like I had a I had a, a boss a long time ago who um, hired me when I was a total mess. Like he shouldn't have offered me a job. He did it. He did it just like very generously, and um, and so when I started working for him, I wanted to do a really good job for him. I wanted to put up big sales numbers. Uh, not out of like fear of punishment, but because of, like I really appreciated what this guy had done for me, and so out of love and loyalty and appreciation for him, I really I, I like worked hard, and because um, I was really grateful. And so that's that's the mentality that we approach the judgment seat. It's not because we're afraid of losing rewards. Uh, it's nothing. There's nothing wrong of doing it for rewards. Jesus says, "Seek treasure in heaven," um, and like we don't do this out of fear. We do this out of like a love and gratitude and desire to serve Jesus because we love Him because of what He's done for us. All right. So there's that. And um, finally, the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, that is, you know, when we live on this earth, heaven full, heaven fully on earth. I've already talked about this a fair amount. Um, but we have we 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 have a physical existence. We're with Christ. Um, we enjoy His creation. We enjoy Him, and um, yeah, and it it will be completely awesome. And that that that's uh, I think that's all. Yeah, that's about all the time we have for that. I, I do have a few minutes for questions, which I mean I've covered about six highly controversial <laughs> things, um, which each class it should have been like a class per item. But um, but hey, we got to keep on trucking, baby. Uh, we got six more classes. Uh, anybody have any questions? Yes. Two thoughts. One, the verse, and of course I can't remember. I think it's Corinthians, but the eye is not seen or ear heard. Yeah. Whatever. I always love that verse because we can't comprehend heaven. Is what it's telling me. So that makes me feel better when I can't fully comprehend. Yeah, totally. And then the other thought is, too, and of course I'm not biblically versed in this, but. When it talks about in the Gospels when Jesus does die, like when the temples fell and all that stuff, doesn't it talk there about people rising from the dead? Yeah, it does. It's absolutely right. Yeah. So um, I can't remember. Some people call it the thriller passage. Because, um, because yes, it does say in, I can't remember the Gospels. Is it Matthew? Yes. You did? Yeah. Okay, it's in Matthew. Um, that when Jesus dies and he raises from the ground, that there are a handful of people who do rise from the dead, and they walk into Jerusalem. <laughs> and so, uh, I know someone who did their dissertation on this, and basically the argument is that um, that is a validation, that was a validation to Jews, who may not have seen Jesus risen from the grave, that there, that there had been a resurrection of the dead, a partial resurrection of the dead. Now here's the thing, what happened to those people? This is, that, that event takes up two verses. If I'm, if I'm, uh, I think that's right. It's like a detail of two verses. It's like, <laughs> so did they live the rest of their lives in Jerusalem, <laughs> or did they go up into heaven? Like, what happened there? We don't, we don't know. Um, but yeah, there is a, there are some do rise from the grave and, and walk into Jerusalem. Wildest Friday night, as we like to say. By the way, Mark Genelat's the author of calling that the thriller passage. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. I have one. Isn't there something in Revelation that talks about with the rapture, the believers go up 
and spend time with Christ, but also some of those that are left behind that suffer the, through the tribula tribulation that are later called up with Christ. And they get saved. What's that? Like you mean they like get saved or who are? Yeah, I, 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 some some interpret Revelation that way. Um, I can't I can't specifically say where, um, but yeah, the, some people interpret Revelation that a large balance of Revelation is the existence of those who are raptured uh, in heaven, and it's kind of basically prophetically speaking about what their life will be like in that period that they're raptured up. Uh, so. Um, so yeah, some people do interpret it that way for sure. That's that's again the the um, uh, what you call a a, a, dis, a pre-tribunal dispensational position on the rapture. Yes, and like I would say in the United States and in, in U.S. Christianity in sorry evangelical Christianity in the United States in the 20th century that was very much a majority position on the rapture. So yeah, I I, I, I in no way would I. Uh, that, yes, that is a major that is a major interpretation of that. Yes, yes. Um, on the Bema seat issue. Yes. You said you know we don't necessarily know if there's a negative emotional experience associated with the lost rewards. We do know there's a joy in receiving rewards for serving God. How do we know that other than just like the logic of like well heaven's place where there's no negative? Emotions. Yeah. That just yeah, it's it's hard. You know, when 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 here in in First Corinthians three, when it says, um, "If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss," I, I would think that just based on what we know theologically about heaven and the emotion, like the perfect emotional experience, that there probably is no negative emotional experience with that. Some some argue that I've, I've read a book that argues that, but I don't. I think it's it was a terrible book. Um, I'm not saying. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm saying. I'm. Um, it was. It was a really poorly argued and scripturally. Um, gosh, I got to get out of this this business of disparaging things like that. I did not think it was a terribly sound book. <laughs> so anyhow, yes. It seems that you know, like you said, the Holy Spirit is the down payment for heaven, and if yeah. you're in Christ, yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit is in you and directs you even when I think in your flesh you can't perceive it. So I remember when we worked together, you saying that, like, in heaven, and maybe you would move from this view because that was a long time ago, in heaven you might see, like, how a good word you said to someone in passing might be reaped later in their life. Yeah. Like, kind of just like, I think certainly yeah. the word works always kind of gets people a little cagey. Right, yeah. But I think the truth. Yeah. Until we die. Yeah. And a lot of times that's classly perceived by us. Yeah. Yeah, truly. I, I think that that is the part of the hope and the promise of the Bema Seat is that, you know, you're a parent and you've like poured into your child or you're a you know, a teacher or whatever you whatever whatever you've done in your life and you have, you know, just invested so much and you've sacrificed, you know, in the name of Christ, but you don't necessarily see any fruit or any reward. Like that's that's particularly the story of anyone who works in like children and youth ministry, because like you invest, you build a foundation, you send them off and it's like, you know, where does it go? And so I think that the promise of the of the Bema seat is that what God did 
in those seeds we're planted that we, we get to enjoy and see God's work in that. And that's reward that we receive for the things that he did in our lives. Prayers that you prayed that God answers, yeah. that you would have no way of seeing on this earth. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think so. Uh, I always say, that, that, that's the thing I say a lot. To um, I, I did a talk on this on Second Corinthians 5 at the Rooted Conference 2018. I said basically, play, like, play for heaven. Plant seeds, be faithful, play for the beam of seed. That's where your reward is going to be, and just trust that the Holy Spirit's doing His thing, um, you know, until that day. Why is it called the beam of seed? Beam of seed is that's a term, um, a term from uh, the Greco-Roman world, where a uh, a judge would sit and either sometimes it would be like a like judgment for you know someone's brought before for judgment, or sometimes it would be in athletics a beam of seed where rewards would be delivered to like the winners of a competition. So that's the that's the Greco-Roman origin of that term, being a seat. Yeah. But there, there are, I mean, there's some talk about different types of crowns that Christ gives, and as we praise Him, we throw the crowns in front of Him, and yeah. varying degrees of crown. That's kind of a reward as well. I mean, yeah, I can't. I can't speak to where we are in line, but there are different crowns. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I'm not aware of that, but that, I, but that's not. A, that's just a statement of my ignorance. I do know that Paul talks about people that he's invested in. Like you are my crown, like you are you are my reward. Like what God is doing in you, you are my reward. And so it does seem that the notion of reward is particularly geared towards investment in people, like investment in people's lives, for sure. Um, why don't I pray for us? If anybody wants to stand around the water cooler and chitty chat, happy to talk about this all day long. Um, all right, God, thanks so much uh, that this is our future, that our future, Lord, uh, is good and it's hopeful. And I, Lord, I pray that we would live with an eternal mindset, that it would uh, that it would just motivate us to praise and worship you, that it would give us comfort, that it would lead us in repentance, and that um, it would lead us to serve you. And uh, and Lord, we just pray that more and more that we'd enjoy your presence now. We pray that we would, um, we would see you more and more and that we'd be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.